This is the View from the Couch podcast, and I'm your host, Pierce Wiesenar. On the program today, I will be reviewing Deadpool 2 and Solo, A Star Wars Story. After the incredible success of the first Deadpool film, what do you do next? Well, you break up the band by getting a new director, give star Ryan Reynolds a new contract, bring in Cable, start the X-Force, and have a Brad Pitt cameo. The story of how Deadpool got a movie was more interesting to me than the first Deadpool movie. Deadpool was a flawed film, but one that had its moments and was a welcome addition to the comic book movie genre. Deadpool 2, though, left me cold. I was bored watching the movie. For a film that tries to do more with a main character than many thought possible, there wasn't enough to keep me all that interested or entertained. While there are things that I didn't like about the film, I have to applaud Deadpool 2 for giving maximum effort by trying to develop the character of Wade Wilson. Fans go to see Deadpool for Deadpool, but you can't give the audience two hours of the murk with a mouth. With a sequel, you can't rehash the first film, but with more CGI. You have to do something different, and while it's easy to make jokes all the time in lieu of developing any of the characters, eventually you have to figure out what to do with main attraction. And after two movies, I still don't know what you do with Deadpool. Instead of focusing Deadpool 2 on something huge and grandiose, everything is scaled down as the film becomes more personal and intimate than many other comic book movies. However, a lot of the emotional weight of the sequel comes from the death of Vanessa, the fiance of Deadpool. Fridging is when a female character is killed in order to provide inspiration and motivation for a male character. It's a cheap way to give emotional stakes to a movie. In a time when the audience and actors want better parts for women, it struck me as tone deaf to Fridge Vanessa. It certainly doesn't help that Cable, the co-lead of the movie, is dealing with the same loss as his wife and daughter only show up to be killed and give him the motivation for his story. And the best part is that in a post credit scene, Deadpool travels back in time to save Vanessa from being killed, which trivializes and undoes some of the personal growth that Deadpool makes in the movie. I appreciate the idea of giving a popcorn movie more than just action and jokes, as Deadpool 2 tries to show the heroes as people. However, the execution of that idea, like much of the film, leaves a lot to be desired. One of the hallmarks of Deadpool is his sense of humor. By breaking the fourth wall, it opens up a wider range of possibilities to give the audience a couple of laughs. However, the jokes aren't really jokes. They're just casually relevant pop culture references sprinkled in with a couple of curse words to be extra edgy. With zero to little effort being put into a lot of these jokes, if you can call them that, you get zero to little actual laughs. If you're not going to put in the work to make jokes, at least have a high rate of success. And yet, by trying to make the 14-year-olds in the audience laugh, everyone else just rolls their eyes. Instead of focusing on quality, Deadpool 2, just like the first film, goes for quantity. Hoping that with a high volume of attempted humorous moments, something funny might stick to the wall. The first act is a sequel to the first Deadpool movie, but the second and third act open things up a bit. We get the X-Force cable and the tricky task of balancing a team-up movie inside of a Deadpool movie. It's a job that requires a lot of skill to give time to other characters not named Deadpool. If Cable, Domino, and the rest of the supporting cast all signed multi-picture deals and are going to be introduced in this film to play larger roles in later films, then you have to build them up and not give them throwaway lines to explain where they come from and what they bring to Deadpool 2. This film doesn't invest in them, which makes the audience not care about them. 
Deadpool 2 couldn't decide if it wanted to be a sequel or an X-Force movie and tried to split the difference, which doesn't work. Deadpool 2 is a patchwork of ideas that never really come together. We have a superhero that can't die, spend two hours trying to die. We have a time-traveling soldier going back in time to kill the child that grows into the man who kills his family, only to not kill the kid and not return to his family. The film gets bigger but not better than the first Deadpool movie. For a film that is a team-up movie featuring a main character that breaks the fourth wall, Deadpool 2 is a passive viewing experience. The audience should feel like they joined the X-Force instead you're just sitting in your seat watching everything happening on screen and it's only when there's a pop culture reference that you know do you ever feel like you're engaged. The sequel fails to satirize the genre in the way the first film did. Deadpool 2 doesn't do a lot to separate itself from the countless other comic book movies we've all seen in recent years. Every comic book movie has pop culture references, action scenes, but this one has curse words. Ultimately, Deadpool 2 sands off some of the rough edges of Deadpool and becomes a movie the first Deadpool movie would make a joke about. If I had to give this movie a grade, I would give Deadpool 2 a C. Next is my review of Solo, A Star Wars Story. After The Last Jedi, everyone is unsure of where Star Wars goes next. So far, it's been announced that J.J. Abrams is returning to direct Episode 9, director Ryan Johnson is getting a trilogy, the Game of Thrones guys are as well, and Jon Favreau is getting a movie set between The Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. Plus, with news of Boba Fett getting a movie with director James Mangold attached, it appears that Kathleen Kennedy, head of Lucasfilm, has a direction of where Star Wars is going. However, if these first four films tell me anything, it's that Disney spent $4 billion on Star Wars and still doesn't know what to do with the biggest property in pop culture. I have a question for you. How do you introduce the world to a character that we've known and loved for 40 years? Harrison Ford is Han Solo in a way that few actors become the characters that they play. Ford's Solo became a template that countless other movies based their characters on and inspired every guy that saw the movie to invest in a good jacket. When Disney bought Star Wars, everyone was curious as to what they would do with their new toy. I don't remember anyone asking for a young Han Solo movie. Plenty of people wanted a Boba Fett movie and we might get it, but Ford as Solo was a fully formed character that didn't need an origin story or film to explain who he was or where he came from. Solo is asking the audience to forget about the character that we've known for so long in order to accept the reality that this film is trying to present us, one that doesn't quite match up with the one we've known for so long. When you hear how bad something is, it's hard not to have any other expectations. Going into Solo, everyone heard the rumors surrounding the troubled production. From the reshoots, tension between the writers and the old directors, Ron Howard coming in as the new director, as well as star Alden Ehrenreich needing an acting coach on set. Ford Solo is a presence that looms large, not just over this film, but the original trilogy, The Force Awakens, and The Last Jedi as well. You could say that Han Solo is the star of the franchise and is the most popular character. There's simply not enough distance between Solo and A New Hope for this Star Wars story to have a fighting chance. The Han at the end of this film is very close to the one we meet in the Moss Eisley Cantina. This problem makes a lot of Solo feel like a fan film or just really great cosplay. For all the talent that Ehrenreich has, I mean, you don't get a chance to star in a movie of this size if you're not talented, 
he's unable to make Solo his own as he's forced to mimic Harrison Ford. That's not a great place to be and it doesn't put the star of the movie in a position to succeed. Part of the reason we all love Star Wars is that the universe is full of wonder and imagination. It's too bad that Solo doesn't have any. We all know Han Solo is a gambler, a risk taker, and the trailers showed an adventure. But the film failed to make a bet, played it safe, and insured itself from a ton of bad press by giving the fans what they want. The two prequels to the Alien franchise in Prometheus and Alien Covenant were always going to be an interesting test case. The Xenomorph might be the greatest movie monster, and the first two Alien films are among the greatest science fiction films ever made. As a studio looking to make money, it's easy to try and go back and make old things new. But we've seen more misses than hits in recent years when studios try to do just that. Just like the Star Wars prequels, you can reveal too much and turn your golden goose into a joke. In Alien Covenant, we learn everything, run the risk of ruining the legacy of the first films, answer questions that no one had asked, and botch the plans for a potential sequel. Going into any movie, TV show, or when you go pick up a book, there's something that everyone wants, and that's for there to be no spoilers. Going into this movie, odds are that it's been spoiled for you, and not by some egg on Twitter, but you spoiled the movie. Congratulations, you played yourself. We all know how this story ends, because we've all seen The Force Awakens. We've all seen A New Hope and the original trilogy. The history we have with this character is why this movie got made, but it's also a problem that this movie can't solve. By knowing what comes next, Solo is boxed in. Creatively, the film can't do much with the main character because everyone has a pretty good idea of who Han Solo is, so there's nothing new you can say about Han Solo. There's nowhere interesting you can take the character because you have to treat him with kid gloves since Disney hopes to make a young Han Solo trilogy. And because we all know what happens next, there's a very small sandbox with few toys for Han Solo to play with. If you were playing Han Solo Bingo, how long would it take for you to call out Bingo? We learn how Han got his name, how he meets Chewie and Lando, how Han got his blaster, and so much more. And for all of these moments that many fans were eager to see, it all felt hollow and empty as the film became more formulaic, uninspired, and predictable with each passing reference. The film doesn't have much of a story and fails to do anything with the main character. If the goal was to make a Han Solo origin story, Han should have been like Luke in A New Hope, the avatar for the audience as the film explores the world of crime from Han's point of view. Instead, the film is limited with what it can do and doesn't think outside of the box to come up with something unique. If you thought Leia becoming Space Mary Poppins was ridiculous and you didn't recognize the Luke Skywalker we saw in The Last Jedi, then maybe you'd enjoy learning that Han Solo played a key role in starting the Rebellion. Once again, Disney shows their cards and reveals their lack of ideas for Star Wars. They're cannibalizing what people like instead of building off of the original trilogy to come up with something original themselves. If I had to give this movie a grade, I would give Solo, A Star Wars Story, a C. If you like the show and want some more episodes, just subscribe for more, and don't forget to rate the show and to share the episode. This has been another episode of the View from the Couch podcast. Thanks for listening.